Welcome to the 94th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Sean Shercover, an award-winning mystery and thriller writer and the author of the new novel, The Trinity Game. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Sean Tricover. Tricover's latest novel is The Trinity Game. We're conducting this interview at Thriller Fest in New York City. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Jeff, for having me here. Sure. Well, if the listeners haven't heard about The Trinity Game yet, could you describe the novel? Sure. It's a, um, <clears throat> it's a new thriller at the start of a new trilogy, actually. And um, Daniel Byrne is an investigator for... The uh, Vatican's uh, department of the, uh, the Office of the Devil's Advocate, and his job is basically to investigate claims of miracles. And in over ten years working there, he's traveling the entire world. He's never actually confirmed a miracle. He's debunked them all, and he's a very good debunker. And uh, his latest case is somewhat different, though. It's a it's his estranged uncle who raised him as a child, who is a, an American televangelist. Uh, you know, Daniel was raised on the Tenth Circuit, traveling town to town, and he knows that his uncle is a con man. He knows that this can't possibly be a miracle. But it seems that his uncle, Tim Trinity, has come into this power of prognostication. He slips into tongues, he speaks in tongues, and if you record the tongues and play them backwards and speed them up by a third, he's actually speaking English, and he's making predictions, and they're coming true, but how can this be? <laughs> Great. Well, the Trinity game has somewhat of a bigger canvas than your earlier novels, Trigger City and Big City Bad Blood. Can you remember the idea that kind of prompted the, the Trinity game? <clears throat> well, yeah, actually, I, I, I've been carrying this idea around with me for a long time. 1996 was when I first had the idea, and I was, um, I was waiting for shoulder surgery. I needed shoulder surgery, and um, so I was hopped up on painkillers. I was on... Uh, Percocet, and I was uh, drinking scotch in the bathtub, and um, <laughs> I had been—I was had some insomnia because of this the shoulder pain I was in, and I spent a lot of late nights watching these televangelists on on television. I thought it was—they were hilarious, um, especially when they do the speaking in tongues and all that stuff, and and the ones who are very clearly. You know, con artists. It's always you know, sow a seed of faith that make a vow to my television ministry, and God will work miracles in your life. And I, so I was sitting in the bathtub one night with a glass of scotch, and it was the first time this had ever happened to me. This character of Tim Trinity came to me fully formed. I knew him. I knew what he. I knew he was a non-believer and he was a con artist. And yet, that this this thing, this manifestation of whatever it was was happening to him that he was actually predicting the future and uh, all of that came to me as a set piece and I and I knew about his nephew who was uh, sent to investigate him and it was the first time I'd ever had a character usually you know you spend a lot of time at the beginning going, oh, who's my protagonist what does he love what does he hate what does he fear you know and you start working all these things what does she want most in life and you 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 do or at least m- most writers do and i i usually do you, you'll write long memos to yourself sometimes you write um, conversations with the imaginary uh character to try and flesh them out this was the first time a character had come to me fully formed and i just thought i have to write this but that was 1996 and it was 14 years before i finally actually wrote it <laughs> what prompted you to finally write it um i think it was it, it, you know, when a, when a story just keeps calling back to you and you keep thinking about it in your downtime after that many years, then you probably should you should write it. And I was in a place where I wanted to try something. I 
my first two uh, novels were Private Eye uh, stories set in Chicago and written in the first person. But I wanted to try something that was, like you said, on a bigger canvas, something that was multiple points of view and where I could play with these ideas of things that are... Are they miracles? Is it quantum physics? Is it you know? Is it supernatural? What's going on here? I had all that stuff in my head that I wanted to play with, and finally, I just it couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I thought, well, I better write it down. That's great. Well, as you just mentioned, your your first two books were uh, private eye books, and you actually mm-hmm. worked as a, a PI in Chicago and New Orleans. That's right. As many people probably know, the the real life work of a private investigator is much different than kind of the fictionalized version. Thankfully, yes. And books. Um, yeah. How did that experience, though, uh, as a real life PI, influence your writing of your first two books? It influenced me a great deal. Um, it was great. It was, doesn't teach you to write, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, what it does, what it did for me was it taught me a little bit of the way that people in that world communicate with each other. Um, you know, there's that, that gallows humor that, that cops and firefighters and ER nurses and private eyes all have because they see so much misery all the time. But there's also uh, a sense that information is the coin of the realm. You know, in some books, the private eye goes into the policeman's office and he says, so, Lieutenant, I got this case. What can you tell me? And the cop says, well, let me open the book and yeah. tell you all about it. Well, in real life, they, that that's not true. Yeah. You, they don't, nobody gives information as power and nobody right. gives it away without getting something of value in return. And that was that was big for me. The, and another thing was the sense of uh, resolution. In many of the books, it all gets resolved and the bad guys all go away. But in, in real life, you know, you have a, a job to do and your job is to get what your client needs, which sometimes is uh, money. Um, sometimes it's evidence to go to trial uh, to prove their innocence. But once you've got what you need to serve the needs of your client, the case is over. Mm-hmm. And you may... Mm-hmm. And you may know, uh, you may know that there are other bad guys in, and involved that it would be nice in a perfect world to bring them to justice. But your job is over, and so things don't get as fully resolved in real life as they right. do in, in the uh, novels. Right, right. What, what initially drew, uh, drew you to writing novels? Have you always wanted to be a writer? Yes, I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, it just took me a long time to get up the gumption to actually do it. You know. Um, I knew from the time I was certainly in the fourth, fifth grade that I wanted to write, and um, and I did all those years, you know, as a kind of a, a hobby or whatever. Right. But but I did other things for a living. I mean, I did the private investigation work because I wanted to learn how it worked because I wanted to write crime fiction. But it just got away on me, you know. Right, it becomes right. your job, and you just do it for a while. And then I worked. In television for a while, I did video editing and I wrote documentaries and children's shows and things. Again, I really wanted to write novels, but you know, I did those and I made a living at it. And it wasn't until one day I woke up and I was 35 and I had a bunch of half-finished manuscripts. And I finally said to myself, "Look, dude, you've always said you wanted to be a writer, so either write and finish the damn thing and send it out. And the worst thing that happens is all the agents say, no, it sucks,' and you move on. But you don't want to be 80 years old and say I never really tried it. Right. You know? So I finally decided." to just push through. And, 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 and what was the path to publication like for that first novel? Uh, it was, uh, you know, I, w- I wish I could give some great inspirational story about mm-hmm. having acquired, you know, accumulated 500 rejections and all that. I had a bunch of rejections, but not, I, it was pretty easy. I, I sent out query letters and, you know, got the Writer's Digest guide to literary agents and uh, looked in bookstores and libraries at books that were similar to mine to look who the author is thanking and the acknowledgments and find out their agents and 
um, submitted, and I think I had 23 rejections uh, before I before I landed my first agent, and then gotcha. Um, what's the writing process like for you? Do you do you uh, write extensive outlines? Do you write more organically? What's that? Well, for my first two books, uh, it was much more. It was much uh, less outlined than the third. Uh, I need to know where I'm headed, so mm-hmm. I want to know the ending, and I want to know some you know, tentpole scenes, if you will, because they hold up the tent of the plot, you know, maybe five or ten important scenes that have to happen between the beginning and the end. But I'm open to changing them as the book gets written, and they do change. But I need at least that much structure. But I don't want much more because I want to be able to surprise myself. With the new book, I don't want a little more because it's multiple points of view. I've got like four different point of view characters, and it's a more complex plot. Um, so I did a little more outlining, but I still like to leave that that room for spontaneity, you know? Right. Um, given your experience thus far um, with publishing and writing, what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers? Well, the world has changed so much in, and is changing so quickly. Um, I, you know, while I, if I were starting now, I would probably do the same thing that I did the first time, trying to, you know, get an agent and go the traditional route. But a lot of people are having a great deal of success with self-publishing, and I think that that's also a valid way to way to go. But regardless of whether you're self-publishing or whether you're going after an agent, you got to make sure that the book is absolutely as good as you can make it before you send it out. People are in a rush often, and right. you know it's really important to have a group of beta readers, early readers, mm-hmm. friends, family, people that you can give it to. Who and you have to understand that they're friends and family, so they like you, so they want to be nice to you. But you have to to find a group of people who will read it and give you honest advice and then you, you've got to work it and work it and work it. And if it hasn't been rewritten a whole bunch of times and responding to notes from people who have read it, then it probably isn't ready. But once you are ready, then just go for it and do what you love. Write what you love. Don't try to worry about analyzing the market about what will sell and all that because nobody really knows. Right, right. And your new book is published by Amazon, correct? Or, yes, or it's a, Thomas a and Mercer, yeah, which is owned by Amazon. Right. And, and what's that experience been like for you thus far? Uh, it's been fabulous so far. They've been terrific to work with. Um, my, uh, the editor they assigned to work on it was, is Marjorie Brannan, and she edited mm-hmm. Elmore Leonard and T. Jefferson yep. Parker and Michael Crichton and Michael Gruber and all these. You know, she's, she's a legend in the, in the yes. business, and she was fabulous to work with, and she definitely helped me make it a better book. Um, and so far, I mean, it comes out July 31st, but so far they've been really behind it. They've put a lot of effort in, and uh, they're very, um, they're, they work very in very close cooperation with authors on things like cover design, and uh, no, that doesn't always happen. Right, you know, right. <laughs> uh, but with them, it, so far, it's, it's been a terrific experience. That's great. Um, what, what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read like in the last six to eight months that really made an impression on you? Um... Well, right. I just read a. Um, I just I just read a book uh, by a friend of mine. It's not out yet, but it's uh, my friend Marcus Seiki. Um, had a uh, had a book has a book coming out next year that I can't tell you about, but except look for it because it's okay. fabulous. And uh, the Aftertime series by Sophie Littlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know whether I would you know go for that because normally zombies and stuff are not my thing. My God, that was a fabulous series. They're really, really well written. They both they both left a, a big impression on me. That's great. Um, what are you working on now? Uh, right now, I'm working on the Devil's Game, which is the uh, sequel to the Trinity Game. 
Uh, it's the middle book in the trilogy, and I'm almost finished, and it'll be out next year. Great. Um, and where can people find you online? People can, can find me at www.jerkover.com, which is my website, C-H-E-R-C-O-V as in Victor, E-R, jerkover.com. But um, mostly I hang out on Twitter, and my handle is just Sean Jerkover. It's just my name. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Sean Jerkover, author of the new novel, The Trinity Game, which will be available in bookstores now. Sean, thanks for doing the interview. Jeff, thanks very much for having me. It was oh, yeah, fun. Sure. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.